friends, welcome back to another episode of Better Stories. I'm so glad you choose to join us, to subscribe to the podcast. I hope that you are sharing it with friends, uh, getting it out there on social media. Um, and I hope it's, it's doing what it's meant to do. I hope it's encouraging you and inspiring you and uh, challenging you to look at your life and, and look at the stories that you're creating, the stories that you're living, and actually make them better. Uh, that's that's what this is all about. We we tell people all the time that better stories is a a rebellion against boredom, and and we're inviting you to adventure and um, excited to hear the stories that come of this. Um, so welcome to the episode today. Uh, this is actually going to be a recording from the second live event that we did, the Better Stories live event that we did back in the spring um, at the McNemer House in Buchanan, West Virginia. Uh, it was a great night. We had a blast, and uh, I, I gave a talk called Three Chairs, and uh, just just had a great time sharing that. But I did want to let you know before we jump in that on October 20th, uh, we're going to be back at the McNemer House in West Virginia. Uh, you can get tickets. Tickets are no cost, but you do need to go online and, and reserve a ticket so we know how many people are coming and make sure that we have enough seats. But you can get your tickets at mcnemerhouse.com that's m-c-n-e-m-a-r house.com mcnemerhouse.com it's going to be a great night we share food we share drinks and uh, we have just a great time of of stories and sharing life together so sign up for that get your ticket and come join us bring a friend or two and i promise it will be a special night i also wanted to let you know that in the next two weeks i'm going to be releasing another podcast uh, episode uh, of an interview that I did with another friend of mine, and I'm telling you, you don't want to miss that one. So if you haven't yet, subscribe, get subscribed to the podcast, and make sure you catch up and figure out what else going on. So right now, we're going to jump in to the Better Stories live event that we did back in the spring at the McNemer House called Three Chairs, and I hope you enjoy it. So we're going to jump in tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about several things. I want to talk to you tonight. This is the part where you listen. Are you ready? I want to talk to you tonight about Uber. I want to talk to you tonight about snot-nosed little brothers. No comment. I want to talk to you about running around naked. I want to talk to you about three chairs. I want to talk to you about dying well. And I want to ask you some questions at the end. Is that okay? Are we good with that? All right. So how many of you don't know what Uber is? I just said the word Uber and you're like, that's a word, but I don't really know what Uber... Okay, good. So... Uber is kind of like a taxi service. It was started by three guys. Two of them you don't know. One of them you do know. Ashton Kutcher was there. I don't think he had anything to do with it besides the money. The other two guys were out on New Year's Eve one year, and they hired a um, kind of a, like a nice private driver to drive their friends around and give them rides through the city out in California. And over the course of New Year's Eve, it cost them $800. A little bit ridiculous. So these guys said, you know what, I bet we could make some money if we didn't charge that much and we did something a little different. So they said, let's create an app for our phone that is all about ride sharing and people can share their rides and it'll still be upper class, but we can actually create something a little different. So in 2012, this is what these guys did. They hired a nuclear physicist, like you do, a computational neuroscientist, I don't know what that is, and like a machinist. And they sat down and they said, now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create this app. And they started researching and studying and they launched it. 
And now anyone can actually drive for Uber. The way Uber works, you get the app on your phone, you tell it where you want to go, and all of the Uber drivers in that area get to say, I'll take that. And whoever does it the quickest will actually come and pick you up and drive you somewhere else. And it's way cheaper than a taxi. It's now in 570 cities across the world. And they actually have, did you know they have other apps going on? Uber's expanding. They actually have Uber Eats, right? None of these are around Buchanan, by the way. If you want to start Uber in Buchanan, it would be awesome. You'd make a lot of money because you're the only one. Uber Eats is actually a food service where you can have them bring you food because <laughs> you're heavy and lazy. Um, Uber Rush is like a package delivery service. They have Uber Boat in, in a European city where you can actually shuttle by boat across the city. In ice cream, like ice cream recognition day in certain cities, they will actually bring you ice cream or have the ice cream truck come to your house on command. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> My favorite is that on Cat Appreciation Day, they'll bring you a cat to snuggle with. This is real. I looked it up on Wikipedia. They'll deliver a cat for you to snuggle with for like 10 minutes to an hour. You, you pay. By the, it, I'm not kidding. I think it would be awesome. And then, I don't, I'm, I don't like cats at all. They, then they have Christmas tree delivery, which I thought was a great idea too. Because who wants to take your family out and cut down a tree? I'm kidding. That's crazy. Um, so we're going to talk about Uber a little bit later tonight, but, but not yet. So how many of you have a snot-nosed little brother? Shh. Okay. Snot-nosed little brothers all around the room. Okay. How many of you have like a younger sibling? Maybe like a snot-nosed... Okay. So more hands are, are connecting. Now, the, the reality of someone who's younger, younger brother, younger sibling being snot-nosed is that they're younger than you. They're typically less experienced. They think, though, that they actually know more. Now, I'm an expert because I am a little brother. Um, and, and, and the snot-nosed little brother is the one that you kind of want to pummel all the time and you treat poorly. Are you with me? Okay. So the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, we talked last month about Genesis, and we're going to hit Genesis again. But the Jewish scriptures talked about the lineage of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel that still exists today. And if you study the nation of Israel, here's where it goes. God looked at the people and said, I'm going to make a people for myself. So he picked one person out and he said, you're going to be Abraham. So I need an Abraham. Somebody, anybody, anybody. Abraham, stand up, Adam. Just stand up, don't move. That's Abraham. Abraham was getting pretty old and he and his wife said, <laughs> perfect. He, he said, I was going to pick you anyway. He said, we're going to have, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham laughed and uh, you don't have to play along. I got the microphone. So Abraham eventually had a son named Isaac. Now I need an Isaac. Can we, you look young. Why don't you stand up? This is Isaac. <laughs> and then Isaac had a son named Jacob and a son named Esau. So can I get a Jacob and Esau? Esau, by the way, was a hairy man. Do we have a hairy man? <laughs> and then let's have Esau right beside you, two doors down. Thank you. Actually, you're Esau, you're Jacob. So over the course of this family's life, they became the nation of Israel because Jacob stole Esau's birthright, the blessing, the inheritance that he was supposed to have. So the other men may sit down. Jacob remains. Harry man, sit down. Uh, and Jacob actually then had 12 sons. He was a busy, busy man. He had 12 sons. You may sit down. And one of those sons had to be the youngest, and it was Joseph, the youngest son. Now, Joseph was the epitome of a snot-nosed little brother. 
Because at 17 years old, he had one job. The father, Jacob, had a lot of land. He had a lot of crops, and he had a lot of animals. They were big into agriculture in that time because Uber did not yet exist. And as he was taking care of the land with his brothers out working in the fields, he looks at his brothers and he says, listen, I just had a dream, and you need to know my dream. My dream was we were gathering up all the sheaves of grain, and my sheave stood out, and all 11 other sheaves began to bow down to it. Isn't that cool? Snot-nosed little brother. And it says that his brothers hated him because of his dream. Then he has another dream, and he goes and tells them, because one time isn't enough for you to be snot-nosed. You need a couple times. And he says, listen, here's what I dreamed this time. I was dreaming, and the sun and the moon and the stars, all the stars, all of them, bowed down to my star. Can you believe it? Not nosed little brother. And the father at that point, Jacob said, you're an idiot. I stole my brother's blessing and it didn't go so well. You need to stop with the dreaming a, a, a little bit, okay? Now, I want to talk to you about three chairs tonight. The first chair that I want to talk about is this chair, okay? This is the folding chair. Are you with me? Now, my question for you, when do you remember sitting in a chair like this? What experiences? What, what kind of does this bring to mind? Anyone? Huh? School. School. We had, we had schools. What else? Graduate. No, let's take turns, okay? Um, sports. I heard sports, right? What else? Did you say sports? You said sports. What else? Graduation. Yes. VFW Nuclear <laughs> The good old days. <laughs> what else? What, what else do you remember sitting in? Thank you. Yes. So this chair for me brings back memories of a place called Selbyville. Anybody been to Selbyville? Selbyville Church Camp. There were about 150 of these chairs every night, every morning for assemblies. And I remember so well sitting in this chair and listening because what they would do with Christian teenagers or non-Christian teenagers is they would say, we know you have hormones. So girls, you go to this side. Guys, you go to this side. Boys are blue. Girls are pink, no purpling, all right? That's, that's, that was the rule. <clears throat> and what I remember, I don't remember any of the talks. I don't remember any of the teachings. I really don't remember any of the music. What I remember, and I'm going to be honest with you tonight, I remember sitting in that chair. Now, I went to Selbyville. I went to camp in Ohio. I went to camp in Tennessee and Michigan. I was that kid. And I remember sitting in chairs like that everywhere I went. And here's what I remember thinking. I remember sitting in that chair going, I could do that. I could be like that speaker. I could lead that music. They should let me do this. I was like eight years old. I, I, could, I could do that. I'm not kidding. That's what I remember most about that. So for me, this metal chair represents desire. It represents drive. It represents uh, dreams and envy and pursuit. And I'm telling you, it never went away. To this day, when I sit in this chair and I have to listen to someone else speak, I'm like, I could do that better. <laughs> No kidding, I was just at a conference with about 11 or, or about 5,000 people, and, and I was sitting there going, that guy, that, he's not a good speaker. I could go up there. No one has asked me yet, but <laughs> really think that I could. See, this chair, it folds up easy, right? It can be moved around, it's temporary, and it can be used in multiple places. And the reality of this chair for me is that even now, I've never found satisfaction sitting in that chair. Have you sat in that chair? Maybe for you, it was sports. You just remember being in, in sports, like, I, they should let me in the game. 
I could do, I never had that feeling. Like, it should keep me out of the game. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'll play when we're up by 30 or down by 30. Like, keep me, maybe for you, it's family. You look at other people's families and you go, that, I, could, I could do that. I could handle it. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's in your job. Even right now, you feel like you're sitting in that chair going, I, I could pursue that. Because it's the place, this metal chair is the place where things are never enough. It's also the place where dreams are crushed. Did you notice in the Joseph story that it said his brothers hated him because of his dreams? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like somebody just is despising who you are because of the dreams that you have? Or maybe you're battling that whole thing. See, this is the chair. This is what I would call the chair of our dreams. And you're going to find that with all these chairs, there's good and bad. Right? See, the good is I began to discern in that chair where I was supposed to be in life. I began to understand who I was and my personality. And, and I think it's good for us to have those things, those drives that we go, no, I know I could do that. I meet with people all the time who go, oh, I don't know how to hear God. I don't know what God wants me to do. And I'm like, well, what do you love? Well, I love this. And their eyes light up, right? You know what I'm talking about? What would that be for you? Think about it. And I go, maybe you should do that because God didn't mess up, right? Like maybe he created that in you and you should follow him. Maybe we just make it really, really complicated and we don't need to. See, this chair is all about our drive. The good part of it is that we should pursue those things. The bad thing is that we can isolate ourselves and we can sit there and we can go, I could do that better than anybody else. And I become the snot-nosed little Christian brother, kid, person, adult, middle-aged, senior citizen. Are you with me? Are you with me? So it's the chair of our dreams. Now, I want to talk to you about running around naked. Here's the weird question of the night. How many of you ever run around naked? Confession time. Yes, 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 yes. My kids are raising their hands. Oh. <laughs> so I have a funny story. And when I wrote this, I didn't know that my kids were coming. But it's too late. We're all in. Okay, so when I, when I went to college, Christian college, by the way, which, by the way, is like church camp times 25, because people choose to pay a lot of money to go there. When I went to Christian college, they, 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 lived, they put us in dorms, right? Guys lived in this dorm. Girls lived in this dorm. And in my dorm, there was a long heritage. And by the way, I've never told this story publicly. Many people know this story, and I don't know how, but I will not. If you bring this up Sunday, if you come to our church and you bring this up Sunday, I will deny it. I will lie. I will flat out lie and say, you were drunk at better stories. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. Okay. So I go to Christian college. I remember going to the dorm and second semester rolls around and it's like Valentine's night. And they're like, this is our night. This is our tradition. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, it sounds fun, tradition. And they were like, no, Valentine's night at midnight, we cover our faces and we uncover everything but our feet. Are you with me? And there was a, there was like a, I, I would say, a, it felt like three miles, but I would say like a hundred yards. No, it was like a quarter, like a quarter mile from our dorm to what they called the tunnel. And the rules were simple. The rules were at midnight, we leave the dorm in our, co in our <laughs> costumes, uniforms, I don't know. And we run the, the three mile run to the tunnel. We, the, this was the important rule. You have to dance a jig or we lock you out. That's what they said. You got to dance a jig and then you come back. And I was like, that's the most awesome thing I've ever heard. Let's go. But here's the kicker. We, this was a Christian school. So we read a verse before we did it. 
Amos 8.1. No, Amos 8.1, I still remember. And the Lord showed me a basket of ripe fruit. And I said, Lord, what is that? And he said, a basket of ripe fruit. And they threw the door open and we were gone. First year, no kidding. Second year, I was RA. I was like, guys, it's tradition. You got to go. <laughs> Get out there. <laughs> so, but some of you are guilty too. So Joseph, back to the Bible. <laughs> Joseph's brothers have had enough of the snot-nosed little boy. And they say, you know what? We're out in the field. Dad's not here. Here's what we should do. There's some traders coming in. There's some people who want to trade goods and services. We should sell Joseph to them just to get him to shut up. And so his oldest brother, Reuben, says, no, 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 guys. It's a bad idea to sell our brother. I love older siblings, right? It's a bad idea to sell our brother. Let's just throw him in a pit, like down in a well. Let's just do that and leave him there. Okay, well, that sounds like a good idea. So they do. Eventually, they're like, what are we going to do with him? We're not going to kill him. Let's sell him. And so they do. They sell him into Egypt. He ends up in another country, and he ends up, here's the kicker, he ends up ascending in kind of like the corporate ladder of Egypt, where he becomes really popular, really successful, really wise, and he works for this guy named Potiphar. Now, in Joseph's life, everything at this point is going right right? Potiphar likes him. He's got a good job. He's got good pay. He's like, my brothers aren't here. Everything's happy. And, and, and he's there. He's working. He's enjoying. But here's what the, what the scriptures say. The Jewish scriptures say this. Potiphar had a wife and she took notice of Joseph because he was fine looking and handsome. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? She took, now, how many of you ever took notice of somebody? How many of you took notice of somebody tonight and you brought them here? Like, let's go talk. Yeah, nobody's admitting that. That's more uncomfortable than running naked. I get it. And, and, and so she takes notice of him and she's really subtle. She's really like kind of flirtatious. She just, she looks at him. She's just like, hey, come to bed with me. Like, that's what she says. That's what she says. And she does this again and again and again and again. And Joseph is like, no, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea because your husband kind of likes me and I want him to keep liking me. But she becomes so pursuant that she finally grabs hold of his cloak and it says he ran from her and left his cloak behind. I think it was Valentine's Day and I think he ran to the tunnel and danced to Jake. I don't know. But I don't know that he was naked. But I think there's a power in this story because I think it takes us to this second chair. And this second chair leaves us with the question, how did I get where I am now? This is the office chair, right? How many of you sit in an office chair every day? See, I've never been in a corporate world. I've never worked in cubicle world. I probably wouldn't be alive if I did. Um, but this chair moves, right? Like I have this in my house and it moves. It doesn't move far. It spins. It's really kind of fun, Right? But what I, what I bet, because I've worked a couple jobs where they gave me an office chair, and when I walked in, the first day I walked in, I was excited. I felt important. You remember that feeling? Like the first time you got a real job, you're like, I think I've got a chair. They put a plastic mat under the chair so that it rolls well. Are you with me? Like none of this carpet crap where they think that I've got a real rolling chair and it doesn't roll because it's carpet. Like they gave me a plastic mat. That's your first day. And the last day, this stupid plastic mat, I wish this chair would sit still. Are you with me? See, the first day we're excited because we have a task, we have a mission, we have a purpose, we have something that gives meaning to where we are. The last day of every job that I've ever left with an office chair, I feel like I can't wait to get out of this chair. It's going to be awesome. I got a new job coming or I don't. It doesn't matter. I just want out. Are you with me? See, the office chair is that place of like, how did I get here? I, I think this is the chair of achievement. 
I think the chair has this power over us where it's exciting at first, but it's frustrating as it goes on because we find that the thing that we thought was going to give us meaning and purpose and mission and task kind of runs out and we often end up like not real content about it. Are you with me? I wish this job, would, I wish they'd let me move up, right? Like I wish they'd do so. I wish they'd pay me more. I wish the boss took notice of what I do. I wish he would appreciate all that I am and all that I have because the contentment goes away in this chair. So I would call this the chair of discontent because we've been there. Like life can be really exciting, but it doesn't take long for it slowly to become unfulfilling. I I would say also, here's the thing that I know about this chair. This This is the chair that's fertile soil for false contentment. Are you with me? Like, I think it's really easy to sit in this chair and think, if I could only, you fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. If I could only get to this point, then I'd be doing really good. If I could only make this much money, if, I could, if they'd only give me this title, then everything would be okay. See, it's that false contentment. And often, here's what happens. We end up like Joseph, right? How did I get here? Ah, she's grabbing me. Like, what are we going to do? Here's what I know happens a lot in this chair. People make really dumb decisions. Are you with me? People make really stupid decisions in this chair. I meet people all the time who say, you know, I I never thought I was going to be addicted. Never thought I was going to be caught in an affair. I I never thought I was going to make all these bad... I never thought that I was going to, like, leave my family behind. I mean, I'm just trying to provide a good life for my family. and, And it often becomes discontentment that leads us. There. But the good of this chair is this. You can be sitting in this chair and you can go, I can dream again. I can think about risk. What if I went on a good adventure? Right? Some of us take really dumb risks. I've done that. But what if I took a good risk? What if the adventure that I'm dreaming about, what if this discontentment is to lead me to those good things? What would I do then? See, Joseph does it the right way. He leaves his cloak. He runs around naked, Right? He says, hey, I've got to get out of this situation because this is not an unhealthy situation for me. I wonder, men in the room, I wonder if Joseph was like, I mean, she's kind of cute. Potiphar's not here. She wasn't subtle, right? Like, it wasn't like, well, does she like me? I can't tell. Like, she looks at him and goes, come to bed with me. <laughs> what are we going to do, have snacks? No, like, he knows what's going on, Right? And he could have made a really bad decision for false contentment. But he says, no, I got to get out of this situation. And he runs. See, this chair, if you make the right decision, will strip down all your outer shell. And it'll leave you in a place where you're going, it's, it's time for me to think differently about life. Anybody ever left a job with that? With that moment? Like, you're like, I can't do this anymore. I, this is going to eat my soul alive. This is, some of you are in that job right now. I know this room, right? Some of you are sitting in that job. You're, going, you're waking up Monday morning like, it's Friday. This is awesome right? Because I don't have to go to that hell tomorrow. And, and you're waking up every day and you're dreaming about that. See, I wonder what it, what it looks like for you in that chair. Now, let's go back to Uber, okay? Do you, do you see that I write these things with a little bit of ADD? Like, okay, so last week I was in Sacramento for a conference, like I said, and I had three Uber drivers. I'm going to tell you about two of them now. I'm going to tell you about the third one at the end. My first Uber driver was Anthony. He was Anthony the Asian. That's what I call him. That's how I remembered him. Um, and, and as I approached his car, I was like, this guy just looks cool. Like I looked through the window, I was like, he looks cool. Like he's got the nose ring hoop thing that, you know what I mean? Like the, not, like the, the, the balls hanging on the end and the hook, like, and I was like, this guy's sweet. And his car's not, like it was a 90s Honda 
that was kind of refurbished and had like spinners. I was like, I don't know about this. But I got in, no kidding. I was like, this is the most awesome Uber ride I've ever had. He had under my seat, I sat down, and the seat was glowing, like neon, like these lights, but neon, and the lights would change as we drove. And I'm like, like, it was so cool. The music he was playing, I was like, I don't know any of this stuff, but I feel like I, I, I might, like... I might like it. And, and it was like a, a party in the car. And I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, I was like, oh, guy's sweet. I wouldn't like him if he was my friend, but he's sweet as an Uber driver. Like, here we go. And he knew, like, he was confident. He knew exactly where he was going. And I could tell really quickly. I was like, how long have you been driving? He's like, no, you know. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. And But I could tell Uber was not his end goal. Are you with me? Like Anthony was sitting in the folding chair. His driver's seat was like, no, I'm not going to be here for long. Like this is just a means to an end. I'm about to change the world with my app. That's what he was saying. And he was going in that way. I could tell. I could see it. I knew it. Now, my second Uber driver (laughs) was a little different. His name was Alan. Alan number one. My third Uber driver was also named Alan. Now, Alan... Uh, we, I got in the car at the airport at Sacramento. He's like, hey, how you doing? I was like, good. He's like, man, that cop was a pain in the, you fill in the blank. I was like, what cop? And he goes, well, I almost got stopped pulling in because I came in the wrong way, you can tell. And he was. The loop was one way and he was facing the opposite way. Now that's the downside of Uber. I was like, I can't cancel, cancel. Anthony, help. <laughs> like, Carrie, call 911. And, and so I'm like, oh, okay. And no, no kidding, at that moment, a cop pulls up behind him, lights flashing. I was like, oh, I don't want to be rude. I'm going to sit here and see what happens. <laughs> and so I did. And, and the cop's like, you're going the wrong way. And the cop was kind of a jerk. He was right about that. But he ended up leaving. And, and so we're pulling out. He's like, man, cops make me nervous. Which, by the way, that's, you don't ever want to hear someone who's driving you say that. <laughs> that is not, you don't want somebody to say that. I was like, oh, yeah, um, okay. And he's like, what are you here for? (laughs) I'm a pastor going to a conference, which at that point became confession time, right? I was a captive audience for 25 minutes and he felt like he could tell me anything. He's like, which church are you going to? So I told him, he goes, oh, I know that church. That's where I go. They got me out of my meth addiction. (laughs) Wonderful. How long? Like three days? Like what's the deal? (laughs) No kidding. This is the conversation. He's like, yeah. He goes, I had a multi-million dollar home in Silicon Valley. He said, I had everything. He said, and I, here's what, he said, here's what happened. I had too much money and too much free time. And it was like that that I became a meth addict. He said, I've lost everything. He said, I've been smiling. I lost everything. (laughs) What are you, like, cool. Like, what a great story. And he's telling me this. And I'm like, you just dropped me off here. Like, and he's literally going on about how he lost everything. He's like, yeah, I've been, he's like, I've been driving for Uber for three months. I'll probably get fired after I have you. And like, yeah. And, he, and he, he looks at me and he said, yeah, I work with a nonprofit with homeless people too. He said, I, 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 I go downtown and I help out with them. He's like, there's some really good people down there. He said, I hope, this, he said, I hope this job works out. Because I don't know, I don't really think I could do the homeless thing. (laughs) And then he looks at me and he goes, but I don't know, maybe that's what God wants for me. He said, my friends tell me I should come stay with them. (laughs) I was like, yeah, my homeless friends. Like, that's, that's what he said. 
See, I think he sat in the office chair and he took the discontent to a really bad place. And, and from multi-millions to meth addiction, that's all it took. And then we get to this, this story of Joseph, right? Joseph, he's living in Egypt, right? He makes the right decision. Now, here's the interesting part of this story. If you follow Joseph's story, Joseph actually ends up back in prison because Potiphar's wife, being the nice, understanding woman that she was, she goes to her husband. She's like, hey, he raped me. Look, I've got his cloak. Who's going to believe the Israelite guy, right? And they throw him in prison for several years. Most think that it was at least two years, if not quite a bit longer. And while he's in prison, he begins to interpret dreams for some of the other prisoners. And when Potiphar ends up leaving and dying, then you get a new Pharaoh in Egypt. And the new Pharaoh is looking and he's talking to his people and saying, I've got all these disturbing dreams and I need help interpreting these. And none of my magicians from Egypt can. Does anybody know anyone? And there's these guys that used to be in the jail and they're like, hey, this guy, Joseph, who is in prison, you need to come talk to him because he's good with dreams. And to go and get him. And he does so good at interpreting Pharaoh's dreams that he says, well, let's give him a position. Let's make him second in command. So Joseph's story, listen, he goes from the pit to the palace to the prison back to the palace. Isn't that great? And he ends up in the palace serving as second in command. And here's what happens. 17, he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. When he turns as far as I know, about 30 years, he's, or 30 years old, he's released from prison. And about nine years later, his brothers come to Egypt looking for help because there's a famine in Israel. And they're looking for help. And Joseph is the one that they bring their request to, but they don't know who Joseph is. They don't recognize him. He had aged not so well. And they come to him and they say, we need help, we need help. And, and after several stories and kind of them going and coming back and going and coming back, Joseph actually ends up revealing himself. And they're all freaked out, as you would be. Hey, we didn't mean it. Like, we didn't mean to sell you. It was, I mean, it was an accident. It was Reuben's idea. <laughs> we were just going to kill you. Like, it's all good. Can you imagine that moment? And he literally looks at him and he says, listen, God meant this for good. Don't be afraid. He says, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Right? And so they go back and they get their father and they bring their father and there's this emotional reunion, this just amazing story. And Joseph and his brothers and his father live in Egypt for about 17 more years, guests of the, uh, of the Pharaoh, guests of the palace. And what happens is that Jacob, the father, begins to age and we see him knowing that he's gonna die and he says, you know what, Joseph, here's the deal. I want you, when I die, I want you to take me back to Israel. I want you to bury me in Israel. And I think that takes us to this third chair, this rocking chair, right? Because here's the reality. How many of you have a really good rocking chair at home? Any moms? Moms with a good rocking chair? Yeah? How about retirees with a good rocking chair? There's like a couple of them here tonight. The rocking chair is the only chair up here that's not meant to move. Did you notice that? It's not mobile. I mean, it moves. But it really, the way it moves, it kind of says to you, just enjoy this moment. It's the only chair that tells us that. It's the only chair that says, just sit still and let this air around you kind of come into your lungs. Let you just, and by the way, if you, how many of you had babies that you had to rock them to sleep, right? How many of you created babies that you had to rock to sleep? Yeah, that's the first child. The third child, no, I'm not doing that. I won't touch you. <laughs> by the way, though, the rocking chair is the only chair that's really intended for you to give a gift to someone else by sitting in this chair and not doing anything. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the story? See, I think what Jacob begins to realize at the end of his life and what I think Joseph starts to realize 
is the rocking chair is the place where grace and contentment and satisfaction and compassion and mercy and really our ultimate mission comes into play. It doesn't move around. It moves in one place. And it's the end, I think, of Joseph's life as he looks back with contentment. He says to his brothers, listen, I know that there's been incredible pain in my life. I know that there was incredible dissatisfaction. I know that all this stuff happened and you meant it to harm me. But listen, God has brought it for good. How many of you could use that message right now? I could use some good in what feels like really hard stuff. I know you meant it for evil, but it's for good. And here's the gift of the rocking chair. It can give you contentment. I also think it can give you a legacy. Right? How many of you remember your grandparents and their chairs? Where they sat? What that was like? But see, the negative side, because all these chairs have good and bad, the negative side is this chair can also offer you a perspective of the world where you go, they're not doing it right. Those young kids just don't get it. If they get off their stupid phones, let's go to Hardee's, right? <laughs> I just offended everybody. Um, but, but, but younger generation, I want you to understand this. This is also an incredibly terrifying chair. There's an incredible fear that comes to reality in this chair because no longer is life about what's next and dissatisfaction or what you might be able to pursue someday. Life is actually about end. How am I going to end? What mark am I going to leave on the world? What does this look like for me? What am I going to do? And what does death really mean? What do I do from this? This is a terrifying place. See, there's good and there's bad. See, my third Uber driver was Alan number two. And Alan number two pulled up to get me when I was about ready to go back to the airport. And this guy was so different. He hops out of his car. He's got his sleeves rolled up, button-down shirt. He's probably like 55 years old. And he's just light-hearted. Like, he just looks happy. He opens, which there's, there's not a lot of happy people anymore. Are you with me? And we meet a lot of people who aren't happy. And he opens the back of his car. He's like, oh, let me get your bags. He throws them in. We sit down. I said, oh, you know, how long you been driving? Are you a meth addict? Right? <clears throat> I was like, how long you been driving? He's like, oh, I just started. He's like, it's great. I love it. I said, really? I said, what'd you do before that? He goes, well, my wife and I, and this is Sacramento, by the way. He goes, my wife and I owned a medical management company where we ran medical practices for offices all around. Huh? He goes, yeah, we wanted to downsize. He said, so we, we kind of just downsized. She's doing that work. And he was like, I wanted to try something new. <laughs> okay. He's like, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I meet all kinds of people. He goes, I met my first transvestite last night. It was awesome. <laughs> and he starts telling me, again, just telling me all about his life. And he starts telling me about his family. He says, I've got five kids. And he said, he goes, listen, he said this. He goes, family is everything. He said, it's everything. He said, I just love, he said, we've got 13 grandchildren. He starts 20 great-grandchildren. He's like 102 distant relatives. Like, oh, come back. I'm like, okay, I can't keep up. And then he goes, my wife, when she was 16, she gave up a baby for adoption. He said, we just found out that we, we, we found this kid a couple of years ago. He reached out to us. We met with him. We brought him out. Now we know his family. He's like, our holidays are so fun. He said, I just wanted to do something different in the world. And so he's sitting in this chair, right? And he's going, I, I got something to offer in families. And I just want you to know this legacy. And I love meeting. See, he had the right perspective here. So the question is this. Which chair feels most normal for you? 
I, I think these three chairs that we've looked at tonight, this whole group of stories, which, which of these do you most resonate with? Which part of the journey are you on? So maybe you're here, maybe you're a 20-something and you go like, I get the folding chair. Right? I understand what it means to sit in a place and be like, I could do so much better than those leaders. I have this desire to try things out, or I actually just want to stay in this chair because I don't have any clue what I'm supposed to be doing, and I feel like somebody keeps trying to move the chair out from under me. You understand that? And then maybe we have 30 and 40-somethings who sit in this office chair, and you know discontentment, right? You got married, and you thought, oh, that's going to work everything out, and then you're like, well, that didn't help, and so we'll have a baby. That'll fix everything. And, mm, that's really hard. Let's have another baby. And then you take a job and you go, well, let's take another job and let's see if that works. And you know discontentment so well. You know what it means to sit in a job all day or sit in a routine all day and think about risk and adventure. What if I did this? What if I took a big leap? What if I dreamed big? And then maybe there's 50s and 60-somethings who understand what the rocking chair is and you want to be content. You want to leave a legacy, but you also know what it means to be critical or you understand what it means to be afraid. See, there's good and there's bad to every chair. We talk the folding chair can be the place of dreams and calling. It can also be the place of what I would call a pride or even a lack of presence. Because here's the reality. I don't think just because you're a 50-something, you stop moving back to the folding chair at times. I don't think just because you're a 20-something, you don't end up in the rocking chair at times. But I'm terrified of what life's going to bring. And see, from that folding chair, it can leave you in a place where you're never really truly present with anyone around you. You know what I mean? We have friends like that. We all do that to each other, right? We, we talk to friends, we hang out with friends, and we're looking at our phone, and we're thinking about where we should be next and what we have to do. And It's so hard to be present in our world right now. And then we have the office chair, and the good of that, right, is it can be the place of risk and adventure, but it can also be this discontentment or even false fulfillment where we make really, really bad decisions. The rocking chair can be the place of a legacy or a mentoring, a gift that you give into the life of someone else. Or it can be a place of criticism, a place of fear, a place of bitterness and hurt where you recognize, hey, I was never really healed of those things that I hurt from and I don't know how to get out of this chair and go back to where I can be healed. These chairs are really hard to deal with, but they can be really great. Which chair, as we start to close, the question, which chair are you in? And the real question, what better stories might come from your chair. As we wrap up tonight, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to invite you to simply reflect on some questions. I'm going to ask you just a series of questions, and I'm going to go through each of these chairs and questions that I think need to be asked while you're sitting in these chairs. Whatever phase of life, whatever place in life that you're at, wherever you are, maybe as a single, as an adult, as a young adult, as a married couple, as grandparent, wherever you are, I want to invite you to ask these questions. So would you do this for me? Would you just simply close your eyes? And this will feel weird, but would you just take a deep breath in and would you let it out? Just a nice deep breath. We don't do this enough in life. Just in and then let it out. And if your answer was, I feel like I'm in the folding chair, I want you to think of these questions. What do you see on your horizon that isn't reality right now? What are you pursuing or what are your abilities that you simply wish someone would take notice of? What do you feel like you have to offer the world? What are you dreaming about? And in these questions, where are you not present in your life right now? 
Where are you giving people simply an absent presence? What might it take for you to live present now rather than waiting for someday from your current chair? How can you begin to drink richly from the life around you? How can you enjoy your moments rather than seeing them as stepping stones to the future? What might it mean for you to open your hands to present circumstances? Maybe you're in the office chair. This is where you see yourself. Think about these questions. How did you end up where you are right now? Where does, and this is so hard to answer, where does your deepest discontent reside? Is it at work? Is it at home? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your friendships? Is it in your career? Where are you exhausted from constantly driving forward in pursuit? Where might you be really close to compromising your integrity for the sake of false fulfillment? And where have you already compromised? And by the way, who might you need to let in to help you work towards healing? Where might you take a risk for the sake of real and true and healthy, God-ordained, epic adventure? How can you guard your heart from false fulfillment and build a life from the midst of this chair? Maybe you're here and you're in this rocking chair. Just answer this. What are you grateful for right now? What are you grateful for? Who do you love around you with the deepest part of your being? Where can you look back and say, although this was intended for pain, God has used it for good? Who needs your perspective and your experience in their life to offer hope and love, wisdom and joy? And how can you reach out to them in the next week? Where are you meant to not stop moving, but continue being intentional in life and relationships? Where are you fearful? Where are you afraid? Does the reality of your own mortality terrify you? Where has your heart been critical and how might you build hope rather than criticism? Friends, if you'd look at me, we all sit in these chairs. And I want to say to you, you're not stuck. And there are difficulties and there are gifts in every part of our life and in every chair that we sit in and every circumstance that we find ourselves in. My hope, my dream for this room, for this home, for this place, for this group is that you have the courage to say, I'm sitting in this chair, but the stories are going to start getting better.